0: you join me so we can pray together. Gracious God and Father, what we have just heard read over us are words spoken by the, the Son of God, by the power of the Spirit that has been preserved for our good, and we come to this moment together, not for me to be active and for these, my brothers and sisters, to be passive, but we come into this moment to all actively listen to your voice, to hear you and to be with you and to be changed by you. And I pray, God, that you would graciously and powerfully and truly do a work that only you can do of transformation. And the places where we find ourselves in relational moments of tension and potential detonation, would you come and change us and renew us and help us to live like kingdom people, bringing healing and health into a world that is so divided? And so we actually believe that you can accomplish that through your word, by your spirit, in this place, in these moments, come and do that. And would you use a weak and broken vessel right now handling your holy words? Would you anoint me for this work, God, for the good of your people, for the glory of your name? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a man named Chris Fuller. I've become fascinated with him. He's a bomb guy. Chris Fuller's a bomb guy who is pretty impressive. He was part of the British Army bomb disposal crew. Uh, so he served in the British Army for learning how to like real deal hurt locker stuff. He's the one that's sent in when the bomb's about to detonate and he takes care of it. And so he's now retired and he's spending his retirement in humanitarian work traveling across the Middle East disarming bombs that have been left by ISIS in civilian spots. That's retirement. <laughs> Uh, and he tells the story of crawling into these apartment buildings where they have intel that bombs have been set somewhere in these buildings. And he's the guy that gets sent in. So sometimes walking carefully, sometimes army crawling through, rubbish moving trash out of the way, looking for where is the tripwire, where is the detonation, and where are the explosives? And how do I locate both of these realities? He tells the story of coming upon a tripwire and realizing like under this pile of trash had I been moving too quickly, me and everyone for blocks around would be no more. Discovering these things and brushing away and then finding the explosives themselves and getting a picture of what's going on. And he realizes in these moments, he talks about the calm that's required. He said, I'll literally be laying there in moments thinking, what am I doing here? And he said, I just have to breathe, be calm. I have to be patient. I can't get ahead of myself. And he said, it requires tremendous risk. I mean, to be in that moment realizing that the wrong move, the wrong, this could cost us all significantly. And the truth is that the work that Chris Fuller is doing is in some ways what Jesus is calling us into here that there is a relational detonation. Like where there is relational evil intention and where it is mishandled and where it escalates and detonates, it leaves people wounded. The shrapnel flies in emotional ways and relational ways that sometimes, some of us are, are the walking wounded and it happened before we were born. It has generational impact in families and across lines because where in that moment where there is relational tension and there's potential for detonation, like ah here's the tripwire, there are the explosives. Where we are not calm and patient, where we are not marked out by the spirit of God, we can cause relational detonation that has fallout sometimes far longer af- than than even uh, a physical explosive would bring. And into this space of tension and challenge, we're going to be be invited to respond with patience and calm and risk. To be kingdom people that disarm relational evil. In many ways, what Jesus is doing is he's operationalizing an an earlier word in this Sermon on the Mount. Earlier he said blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons and daughters of God. He told us we're called to make peace. And now a little bit later on he's circling back on that reality and he's operationalizing it. He's giving us hurt locker training. He's saying listen if you're going to do that work this is what's going to be required of you. And so together what we are going to realize is this that kingdom people are called to disarm relational evil. And he's going to show us that we do it in two different ways. We do it by calmly standing against evil while lovingly standing for relationships. And what we will find is that right there in that space, those two things, it requires the calm and the patience and the risk, like a Chris Fuller, to unwind those and say, what does it look like to stand against evil in this moment? What does it look like to lovingly stand for relationships? This is the kingdom way and I want to invite you into it this morning. Let's talk about what does Jesus mean by calmly standing against evil. Calmly standing against evil. Look back with me verse 38 and the first part of 39. It says this. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is Old Testament law repeated several different places. It was intended to curb the the natural human inclination when wronged to say I'm going to get even. And not just get even, but I'm going to go above and beyond. That there was, uh, in the book of Genesis, for instance, after the fall, you see that Cain kills Abel, and within seven generations, there's a man named Lamech. And Lamech is actually pouring out, if someone wounds him, he says, I will kill them. That it's no longer meeting out eye for eye or tooth for tooth. It's actually, if you come at me, I will come at you tenfold. And it's that inclination in the human heart that when, when mistreated to say, I'm going to get mine and I'm going to make this right, that, that into that space, God has issued a law to make sure that justice is done. He's saying, okay, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, let's keep it on par. But that law that was issued, Jesus is going to take a step further and say, let's fill that with all the meaning that God intended. That it's not just a stop there that's to curb the human heart but what would it look like to heal the human heart in this place and he says verse 39a but i say to you do not resist the one who is evil do not resist the one who is evil this is jesus's first step into what does it look like to disarm relational evil and what he's done here is he's kind of tied a theological knot for us that we have to spend a little bit of time making sense of untying as it were Because in this text, he uses a very specific word. When he says, do not resist the one who is evil, it's literally a a word in the the Greek language that means don't stand against. Don't withstand. Don't set yourself against this person. But interestingly, in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 6, where Paul is writing about spiritual warfare, he uses the exact same word, and you know what he says? Stand against evil. So if you're reading your New Testament in context, what you get is, do not stand against the the evil one, stand against evil. And what you hear in that is a very delicate knot that's been tied that we have to be careful. Like like Chris Fuller, understanding how to disarm relational tension, we actually have to pay attention to the fact that the text, what Jesus is calling us to, is in alignment with what Paul is calling us to, but there's this very delicate tension stand against evil don't stand against the person by which evil has come to you how are we to do that how are we to unwind that when we come upon the potential detonation of relationship and in order for this to make sense I want you to bring that person into mind as we're about to walk this territory together bring that person to mind that you're tempted to think of as an enemy or that might think of you as an enemy the family member, the coworker, the boss, the, the neighbor, the person where that tension is present, where there's been evil done, where there's been mistreatment. Into that space, what Jesus is going to say is calmly stand against the evil without standing against the person. Well, let's see if we can make sense of this. How does this work? He gives us four examples in the following verses as he's inviting us to this costly, countercultural, salt and light sort of responsibility. He's calling us to something that's so radically different. He's saying, don't pound your fists and say, get even. What he's actually saying is be creative. Be kingdom-minded. There's a different way than just fighting back and saying, I'm coming at you tenfold. And the way that he talks about it in the second half of verse 39, he says this, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. This is the first example of physical aggression. And the picture that Jesus is giving is of a backhanded slap, which is actually, it's an assault on your dignity. Maybe it's literally physical, or maybe it, it's actually something more underhanded, but what it is, it's, it's an assault on a person's dignity and self-respect. And what Jesus says is in that moment, the invitation is to take a creative kingdom response of kingdom poise of calmly standing against the evil by looking the person in the eye and offering them the other cheek. That this is, in a sense, exposing the evil for what it is. By not engaging fully, but standing humbly and looking the the, the assailant in the eye. He gives a second example not just this physical assault but in, in verse 40 he says if anyone would sue you and take your tunic let him have your cloak as well this is material imposition something has been taken and in the space he's saying we don't fight back we say you know what we'll, we'll have this as well you want my cloak we'll, we'll have this undergarment as well take take it all he goes on to say and if anyone forces you to go 1 mile go with him 2 miles this is oppression This is this is actually very clearly would have immediately registered in first century Jewish years this is the oppression of the overseers The word force here is a command that it was often used of the Roman army and the Roman army could require of a Jewish citizen to go 1 mile This is like when Jesus is carrying his cross and he doesn't have the energy to keep carrying it the Romans force Simon To go a leg of the journey because they can force you to do that. They say, you need to go the next mile. And what he's saying is expose oppression for what it is by saying, you know what, I'll go too. Because in this space where you don't react and pound your fists, but you take a creative kingdom response, it exposes the evil for what it is. It exposes the assailant that all of a sudden they're they're having to confront this reality that my hatred and attack on you is not met by hatred, but it's met by this calm standing against the evil that's present in the situation. The last example he uses, verse 42, give to the one who begs, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is financial imposition. And, and I think we need to be clear, he, he doesn't actually say give exactly what is requested, because sometimes that, the one who is begging may be asking for something that's not healthy for them and those around them, but he does say give to the person. So it may not be giving exactly what is asked, but it is giving the dignity and the respect of meeting them and tending to them in the ways that they actually need. And what he's saying is we should be the sort of people that when we're confronting each of these different scenarios, we respond in a creative kingdom way that's upside down from what's expected. You see, he's calling us to creative Kingdom poise, towards generosity. Now the interesting thing is that we bristle against this, do we not? Like the idea that someone mistreats me and my initial response is that I'm going to calmly stand against the evil by, by not reacting, not fighting back, but by graciously continuing to go on this journey with you. That this bristles against us. Nietzsche hated this, for instance a philosopher that has influenced a great deal of existential thought, that Nietzsche hated this. He said it's effeminate, and by that he he meant it to be derogatory. He said, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, this turn the other cheek stuff, it's effeminate and it's dangerous. He says, what we need is blood and iron, the will to power. This is how you exert yourself in the world, says Nietzsche. Blood and iron, this is what's needed. But I think before we paint this picture of this being so weak and mealy-mouthed and dangerous for us as a people, because we're just going to become a mat upon which the oppressors trample, we need to look at a spot like Proverbs 16.32 that I think speaks a truer and a deeper word than what Nietzsche is hearing. Proverbs 16.32 says this, "...whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty." And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Do you hear it? This is what Jesus is calling us to his kingdom people. He's saying in that moment of, of being mistreated, of having your dignity assaulted, to rule your spirit in that moment is more profound and more powerful than taking the whole city by storm. So that's power. That's beauty. It's the reason we still celebrate the life of Martin Luther King. The reason that he, what he saw in Gandhi, a man that was not a Christian but followed the ways of Jesus more faithfully than most Christians, and it so inspired Martin Luther King towards, towards nonviolent response. And what King realized, the brilliance of he and those who were with him, is they realized that nonviolent response does not mean non-confrontational. It's not identical in fact, it is a confrontation of tremendous authority, but its power, overco- its, pardon me, its love being injected into the system with such power that like a tidal wave, it overcomes evil and hatred. The way that King described it, let me read it to you. He says this, nonviolence is not sterile passivity. It is a powerful moral force which makes for social transformation. And he went on to say this, it avoids not only external physical violence, but also internal violence of the spirit. The nonviolent resistor not only refuses to shoot his opponent, but he also refuses to hate him. You see, what Jesus is calling us to is a kingdom ethic that is upside down, that says, when wounded, I don't, I don't respond with all the power and the fire that it comes naturally to me that i respond graciously simply that i like chris fuller on my belly that when you consider that person who has really wounded you that moment of relational tension where you feel it this could blow up if we're not careful this could impact my family this could impact in-laws and the way this could impact christmas you know like there's that moment where you go this could be awkward if this thing detonates and in that moment where we're laying amidst all of the rubble and all of the mess and we're going what does it look like the reality is this the detonation the danger that you have to be aware of is something inside of you That Jesus is saying in that moment when there's an assault on your dignity, the invitation is to stand against the evil that is at work and the evil is at work in all parties involved because in that moment there's a fire in you that is the detonation for that explosive. What Jesus is saying is you can't control how other people are going to respond. You don't have that responsibility but you do have responsibility over your own spirit and what power, more power than sacking the whole city is the woman or the man who can control their spirit in that moment. That's us blowing away the dirt and go, ah, there's the detonator, there's the tripwire, and I'm being called to calmly stand against evil. And to say with hatred and anger, I am not going to respond in like manner because if I do, an eye for an eye is going to make the whole world blind. Stopping at law and not engaging with Jesus to fill this up with purpose is what will invite us into something beautiful and fuller. And the first thing that we have to realize is this. We are called, if we're going to be kingdom people, to calmly stand against evil when the relational tension is high. He doesn't stop there. He presses on. And this is where you really feel, you know, we're calling the whole of our study on the Sermon on the Mount, I see things upside down. Because Jesus is coming at this from a kingdom perspective that inverts our vision. And if, if it's not already, it's about to be. Because when he presses on in verse 43, we realize that the second reality of not just calmly standing against evil, but lovingly standing for relationships, this, is the inverse of all that comes naturally to you and to me. Look at verse 43. It says this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Let's just pause there for a second. Where is this coming from scripturally? Have they really been taught to hate your enemy? Interestingly, there's, there's no one particular verse that says that, that you, are, you have been taught to love your neighbor but hate your enemy. But there are a few places that we have to wrestle with. I'll, I'll, I want to throw these psalms up here. There's two references in the psalms that are a for instance. Psalm 26.5 says, I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. Psalm 139.21 and 22 says, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Yeesh. So there you are. That, that's in the Bible. That's in the Psalms. So here we have another theological knot that we have to untie, that Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, love your neighbors, hate your enemies. And we might go, well, I don't know where that is in the Scriptures. Well, they might, they might be referring to the Psalms, which these are... Faithful prayers, by the inspiration of the Spirit, prayed for the saints to teach us how to pray. And there they are going, I hate them with a complete hatred. What do we do with this? It's interesting that in this moment as Jesus begins to invite us, and look at verse 44 for instance, he says this, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now I think what Jesus is doing is is he's actually laying hold of those psalms in conjunction with these people who have been taught and he's filling it up with all the intended meaning because the truth is what Jesus is doing is so brilliant and honest. Where you have been most wounded, where the relational tension is highest and, and it's most likely to explode, let's be honest. If Jesus had looked at us and said, you've heard it said... You've heard it said, love your enemies, pardon me, uh, love your neighbors, but hate your enemies. But I'm telling you, love your enemies. If that's all he said, the truth is that in the places where we have been really wounded, we go, I'm not in a position to love them. I hate them. It's burning in me. They've wounded my dignity. They've mistreated me. It's painful. I'm dealing with the fallout from it. And Jesus goes, yeah, yeah, pray and love them. And by the way, here's all these prayers that teach you how to pray. Isn't it interesting that these are the prayers of the saints before God pouring out honestly what's in them, and they're going, God, I, I hate them. That's what's in me. But they're prayers offered to God. And in fact, if you're going to get to the place of being able to love the enemy, you better be able to be honest before God about what's in you naturally. The picture that Jesus is giving, he's saying, "How how do we lovingly stand for relationship when relationally wounded? We love and we pray. And some of our prayers might sound like the Psalms. It might sound like, God, I... You're calling me to love someone that right now there's a fire burning in me. And he's going, yeah, yeah. It's a greater power to master your own spirit with my power than to sack a whole city. So stay with me in this place. Pour it out to me. Pray it to the bottom so that you can show up and love them because we're not going to disarm this thing otherwise. Your hatred and your fire is going to detonate this thing and we are all going to have to live with the relational fallout of it. Listen to me. Pray for those who persecute you and love your enemies. Prayer and love are fuel for each other. If you try to love an enemy, you're going to need to go back to God and pray. And if you're really praying to God, you're going to be catapulted into loving your enemies. And as you love your enemies, you're going to go, ooh, I'm weak and needy. I need to go sit with God and deal with this. Love and prayer fuel each other. If we are going to lovingly stand for relationships, we pray and we love. But then this, this is where Jesus just He just keeps pressing. And I don't want us to miss this. Because this last one is where you finally feel like, oh, yep, I'm definitely upside down. Like I've felt it, I've felt the tension, but now I am actually flying upside down because the last thing he's going to say is this. Don't just calmly stand against evil. But as you're lovingly standing for relationship, you're supposed to pray for and love the person. And lastly, he's actually going to say, and warmly embrace them. Stunning. Upside down. Backwards. Kingdom. Look at it with me. Verse 45 to 47. This is what he says. He says, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For... He makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more pardon me, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? What's he saying here? What he's saying is, well, let's let's just examine how your Father responds to those that hate Him, who disregard His Word. What He says is, He equally sends sun and rain on the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. The farmer that is on his knees pleading, God, send the rains. And the one that is cursing God and their plots are next to one another, the rain and the sun falls on both of them. And what God is saying is, I'm merciful to all. That's what I do. I just can't, I can't wait till some night when we're watching the news and uh, the the weather report. I wish in our own hearts that we could receive it like this or maybe even a weatherman would deliver it to us like this. Like, all right, here's the weather report. Sun, which means God's merciful to you. The next day, rain. You know what that means? God's merciful to you. Like, whatever the weather report is, what he's saying is every day we should look up and check the weather and go, yep, sure enough, God's still merciful. (laughs) Because to the just and the unjust. This is the character of God. Even if you have hated me, even if you have disregarded me, me, I'm going to sustain your life again. I'm going to continue to extend mercy. The sun is perpetually rising at every moment throughout the day somewhere in the world because God is being merciful to the globe again. This is the character of God and what he's saying is the way that you'll know you're really flying upside down, the way that you'll know you're his child, is he says you will greet those. He's he's talking about greeting your enemies. Now, the interesting thing is that term greet, there's a lot packed in there. It actually means to warmly embrace. This is not like, hey, how you doing? And you keep going, smuggling all of your anger. What he's saying is it's actually pausing to be interrupted, to pay attention, and to embrace, to care for. I love the picture. It's, it's this idea of whoever that person was that's in your mind. It's that idea of the person who's wounded you most standing there with their arms by their side and you've got them wrapped up hugging them warmly and they're like, I don't know what to do with my hands. This is really uncomfortable. The kingdom ethic takes us from calmly standing against evil to praying and loving to the point where here we are issuing something totally different, a tidal wave of love that is undermining and reworking hatred and evil. This is the kingdom ethic. This is the disarming of the relational bomb. He's inviting us to experience deeper intimacy with the Father by living like His children in the world. you see if we're going to be chris fuller in the world if we're going to be bomb people bomb specialists kingdom people that disarm relational evil we have to calmly stand against evil but while lovingly standing for relationships and the beauty is that he finishes in verse 48 with one of these just little haymakers that Jesus loves to slide in there he says At the conclusion of his teaching, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Just like a little zing right at the end. Now the interesting thing is we're only one chapter into the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in it for months, but it's helpful to remember that we're just a chapter in. And if you go back to where he started in chapter 5, what he said is, blessed are the poor in spirit, the bankrupt of soul. And now you finish chapter 5 with be perfect the father is perfect we've covered some ground in chapter 5 you're like well we started with this introduction of like all the blessings are for the impoverished of soul and now we're on this peak of be perfect because the father is perfect and you're going whoa the distinction between that valley and that mountaintop but what we need to hear is this that mountain uh, that, that mountaintop and that valley low they're not so distant they're not so distant The journey that Jesus is on is this recognition that once again being invited to be impoverished of spirit because it is the way of death to ourselves that leads to the peak of maturity and completion and fruitfulness in the Lord. And what he's saying is this. You need to recognize your impoverishment of spirit. What you need to recognize, hear this, is that you in and of yourself are an enemy of God. Bankrupt. enemy. Ephesians 2, we were born at enmity with God, hating his reign and rule, following Satan, the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2 says. That's who we naturally follow because we like his word. That is, take a shortcut, make it about you. If somebody wounds you, wound them back. And we go, yeah, that all makes sense because it's natural to us. And in our nature, we're God's enemy. And do you know how he treats his enemy? He lovingly stands for the relationship while calmly standing against the evil. In Isaiah 50, it talks about the suffering servant as his beard is ripped out. You get the sense that as Jesus' beard is ripped from his face, he says, well, take the the left cheek as well. They put a nail in one arm. He says, well, the other as well. Because what I'm saying is this, I'm calmly standing against the evil that has riddled the souls of humanity and they need to be rescued from the evil that's a ticking time bomb in their chest. And what I'm saying is, put it on me. I will calmly stand against the evil and I will take it on so that I can lovingly stand for relationship and say, I call you as my bride, as my child, as my brother. You can come home and be in relationship with me. You see, what Jesus did was creative and heavenly and kingdom. What he did is he took enemies and he made them his family. This is the good news of the gospel. And when this washes and renews our soul, that we are enemies of God that have been called into His family, what we realize is this, we are set loose in the world to transform enemies into our family. That we get to wrap people up in this moment where they're like, I don't, I don't know what to do. And in this place, we're going, ah, by the grace of Jesus that is flooding me, I get to embrace those that, that are aiming to mistreat me. And in that place, what I can see is the disarming of relational bombs and the unleashing of the the healing of the grace of Jesus in the world. We get to be kingdom people who disarm relational evil by calmly standing against the evil while lovingly standing for the relationships. Let me pray for us.